This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and... What do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey y'all, welcome back to Eco Chic. My name is Laura Diaz. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. I'd like for us to spend today's episode chatting about a subject that is both sensitive, it's a humanitarian issue, but it's also a growing concern within the climate crisis. I really like to say there's nothing in our lives that doesn't intersect in some way with climate change. And a lot of this show is based around that idea as well. We take topics like fashion and food and justice and books, and we can cross just about anything around the topic of climate change. I dare you to try it in your everyday life. Because unfortunately, the climate crisis is very heavily fueled by capitalism and the way that we run our societies. And for that reason, there is so much, again, if not everything in our everyday lives as Western consumers, that can cross with the fact, the very unfortunate fact, that our Earth is warming at an unsustainable rate. And that's just talking again about our lifestyles and what makes us comfortable And I hope today's conversation helps us understand the very unfortunate reality that is the humanitarian crisis that climate change has exacerbated. We are talking today about climate migrants, very often called climate refugees, sometimes more broadly encompassed in the term environmental refugees, but we'll break down all these terms in a second. I feel like there's a lot of layers to the conversation around climate migration, and I hope that I can come at this with grace and understanding, and I hope we can all leave this conversation a little bit more educated and aware of what is going on globally around migration and around refugee crises. But first, I think that we really need to set the scene. What is a climate migrant? A climate migrant or a climate refugee is someone that is forced to flee their homeland or their community due to either sudden or gradual changes in their natural environment. And when we're saying climate refugees, we're very often thinking changes in their natural environment due to climate change. So that could be sea level rise, that could be drought, water scarcity, extreme weather events, unexpected changes that are very often more severe than that community is used to and prepared for. Now, again, these groups of refugees don't necessarily need to be tied to climate-related issues. Some publications will refer to those communities that are forced to flee more broadly as environmental refugees. So this could be folks immigrating due to natural disasters more broadly, so volcanoes, tsunamis, things that are quite once-in-a-lifetime. And tracking with the term environmental refugees, I thought this was an interesting fun fact, I suppose, a very unfortunate fun fact, so I hate to call it that, but the International Red Cross estimates that there's actually more environmental refugees than political refugees fleeing from wars and other conflicts around the world. 
So this really begs the question as well, why do people migrate or why do people immigrate? Why are people forced to flee their communities? I think first, most immediately, of political refugees, communities that are forced to flee in situations of civil unrest, of war. We can think of the current conflict and current civil unrest in Ukraine, which is an interesting situation when crossed with the topic of climate change because it is a war over fossil fuels. There's, of course, also just social migration. People move because they want to. There's economic migration. People move because there are better jobs, more prosperous economic opportunities in whatever community it is that they are migrating to. There seems to be a little bit more choice in those social and economic situations often, but not always. And then there is the topic of today's conversation, environmental migration. I think what's really interesting within the definition of environmental migration that we shared earlier is that this can be an environmental change that is either sudden or gradual. And I want to talk first about these communities experiencing gradual environmental change because this is one that we are facing on a day-to-day level in conversations that we're hearing a lot about, I feel, especially from my U.S.-centered point of view. A gradual environmental change could be quite literally just seeing your average temperatures rise in that community that you're living in. Perhaps you moved to Colorado 30, 40 years ago because you wanted to ski six, seven months out of the year, and now the ski season is a lot shorter, and you feel like it's your time to move to another area to be able to enjoy that recreational activity. I feel like that is a really direct example because that's you interacting with the environment, But it could also be more broadly, perhaps you live in a community where it is incredibly hot and you are just uncomfortable with the long stints of heat waves that you're experiencing summer after summer. And you're realizing that it is a lot warmer on the average day than it was five or ten years ago when you moved to that community. And it's your time to get up and move to somewhere a little bit cooler and crispier. A gradual environmental change could also be around water scarcity. Perhaps your community is experiencing shortages and there are now new policies in place that prevent you from watering your lawn or having your golf courses or whatever it may be. It doesn't have to be that extreme, but perhaps there are some limits around how you're using your water and you decide that that is the reason that you are primarily moving away from that community. And I think what's interesting about these gradual changes and all of the scenarios that I've shared with you is that, again, there is a lot of choice compared to sudden environmental changes. You're choosing to leave a community because of the environmental stressors. And sometimes it is not nearly that cut and dry. Sometimes you're experiencing really severe weather in your community over time. Let's say you are in Northern California And over the course of however many years you've lived there, you have noticed and experienced a really unfortunate uptick in wildfires. And you decide this is just not the place where I want my family to be right now. By no means is that an easy decision or one that is not taken with really heavy consideration. There's a lot of implications when you move. There's financial decisions. There's community ties. And it is a tough thing to come to terms with that your environment is just not suiting you anymore, that you feel environmentally stressed where you're living. But when we discuss gradual environmental changes, encouraging movement, or in some cases truly forcing folks to move out of their communities, there is an interesting element of time here. You have a little bit more time to think about where your next move is going to be, what a better area for your environmental concerns is going to be. 
I really want to stress that it's not a luxury to move because of environmental stressors. That is not even a little bit what I'm trying to get at here. Just saying that when we talk about gradual environmental stressors or gradual environmental changes that encourage climate migration, that's a situation where you are assessing a situation over time. You're not waking up one day and you're like, you know, it's a little warmer than usual this week. I think we should move out of California. It's just not that straightforward. It's not that easy. It takes a long time to come to that realization, to come to terms with that, and to start making plans to really act upon that decision. But that is still a climate migration. Now we're going to flip this conversation and talk about sudden environmental changes that force folks to flee their communities. Quick break to tell you about one of my favorite brands, Cozy Earth. Now quickly, I'm going to say that this is a very full circle moment for me because I love Cozy Earth. I've been buying their pajama sets for years. I was influenced years ago to buy a set for my mom for Christmas. She loved them so much. She raved about them that she gifted me a set. And now I've just continued to purchase them and gift them to friends because I cannot believe people have yet to experience the truly best sleep of their life. Cozy Earth has developed and crafted high-quality goods with responsibly and sustainably sourced materials, and they are really just so breathable and luxurious. Also, sleep on Cozy Earth bedding. I really cannot get enough of their fabrics. And also something to note, especially when you're buying a high-quality, delicious fabric like a Cozy Earth loungewear set or like their bedding, I'm always a little worried that it's going to be a pain to take care of. And Cozy Earth is so easy to wash and immediately use again. And it really maintains an ultra flattering, elegant fit, which is a huge selling point for me. Cozy Earth sheets are softer than cotton and made from soft and sustainable viscose from bamboo fabrics and they're temperature regulating, which means it'll keep you cool and comfortable all night long. I feel like I've talked before about what a hot sleeper I am and I'm really picky about making sure my sheets are ultra breathable and the Cozy Earth sheets are beyond. They also offer a 100 night sleep test, which means you can try these sheets on your bed for 100 nights. And if you don't love them, which I cannot believe you not loving them, you can send the sheets back for a full refund. But trust me, you are going to be keeping these sheets. Cozy Earth provided an exclusive offer for today's listeners, 35% off site-wide when you use code ECOCHIC. If you want the coziest bedding, bath, and apparel, go to CozyEarth.com, use code ECOCHIC for 35% off. And now a word from Shed the Silence. Naturally, over half of women will experience hair thinning in their lifetime. And especially for women, hair is so much more than physical appearance. It really shapes our self-image, our self-confidence, how we have relationships with ourselves from the inside out. And unfortunately, hair loss is a reality for millions of women, and yet we're really reluctant to discuss it publicly. A lot of women are suffering with this reality in silence, thinking that they're alone. I've shared a little bit about my hair journey the last couple of years, and during early 2020, during early COVID, I experienced my first bout of really significant hair thinning. And it made sense for the time. I think a lot of people were experiencing hair thinning really significantly for the first time during that period. I was stressed. I was living alone. Everything was uncertain. We were all living in extreme panic. And it really felt like there was nothing I could do to calm myself that was going to make my hair magically grow back. And I really didn't understand 
what was going on because I had never experienced this before. I'm someone who takes a lot of pride in my hair. I have naturally pretty thick hair and I have a lot of it. And when I could notice spots, especially around my hairline, I was getting really nervous. And there was something about sharing this experience with my closest girlfriends during one of our Zoom hangouts. Do you remember that period during early COVID where we were all like watching movies and doing Zoom happy hours with our friends? I was so embarrassed to say, girls, I'm experiencing something and I need to talk about it. My hair is thinning. And sure enough, there was someone else in the group that said, wait a minute, so is mine. I think it's all the stress. I think it's the news. I think it's this chaotic, unprecedented time that we're living in. And even though neither of us had a solution, I found so much peace and solace in knowing that someone close to me was experiencing a similar thing and they weren't waving this off as a frivolous concern about my appearance. It was something that was deeply impacting me and if anything, only adding to my stress at the time. If you also are or have experienced hair thinning, I really encourage you to share your story. Let's talk about it. Your hair story could help other women. Join the conversation at shedthesilence.com. That's shedthesilence.com. It'll be in the show notes. What do we mean when we say a sudden environmental change is encouraging or forcing, quite literally, climate migration? The first thing to establish is that when we talk about storms and climate change, we understand the data shows us that climate change is fueling storms. We're not necessarily getting more storms, but we are getting stronger storms. So we're getting stronger hurricanes, more severe droughts, stronger heat waves, more powerful snowstorms, natural events that have happened over time and have happened historically, but never at this magnitude that we are seeing in today's day and age. And that's concerning from a humanitarian perspective because it is accelerating the rate at which people are migrating because of climate change. We know that with rising temperatures, glaciers are melting, ice caps are breaking off, and this will cause flooding, sea levels are rising. So there is day-to-day change happening right before our eyes, more of that gradual change. But when a gradual change like rising sea levels is paired with a more intense than usual hurricane, we have a real situation on our hands. After a really strong hurricane, there are areas that could become completely uninhabitable because that strong hurricane was also paired with rising sea levels. On the other hand, you have situations like droughts and desertification. I always have a hard time with that word. It is when land converts or transforms from arable land into a desert. These effects of desertification can also make land uninhabitable, again, especially when paired with things like water scarcity, droughts, heat waves. Regions across the world are experiencing stresses in ways that they've never experienced them before because it's not just the day-to-day temperature rise, It is also those more extreme storms that are forcing those sudden waves of climate migration. I think a good, very unfortunate recent example of climate migration in a country already experiencing very severe stresses is Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico experienced almost to the day five years ago, Hurricane Maria, the largest power outage in American history. Much of the country did not have power for eight or nine months. That takes a really severe toll on society because it is not just a matter of your day-to-day lifestyle and how you like to use electricity, but it's a matter of how things are transported, of how folks are getting 
hospital care, how the economy is run and sustain, and there are so many issues associated with a country just not having access to power. Earlier this week, Puerto Rico was severely hit with Hurricane Fiona, which has also left much of the country without power once again, and it is unclear how humanitarian aid will come in and how utilities will come together to rebuild entire communities across an entire island nation. It is not unreasonable to believe that five years ago during Hurricane Maria, there was a large migration from Puerto Rico to other Caribbean countries and also to the U.S. And put yourself in that mental situation. If your home is destroyed, if your community is not up and running, if there are no prospects for work, for power, for an equitable, comfortable lifestyle, what is your incentive to stay in that area if you have the financial means to migrate elsewhere? I think financial means is a really important piece of that sentence because, of course, it is a privilege to be a climate migrant in those situations where you are recovering from a disaster. It feels a little incorrect for me to be using the word privilege and disaster and migration all in the same thought, but there are varying levels of equity and injustice that can occur within humanitarian conversations, but that is a heavy topic for another time. I just hope that my point is understood here. Another unfortunate situation that we can discuss around sudden environmental change that forces climate migration is around the 2010 earthquake in Haiti. The 2010 earthquake was one of the most deadly, devastating events in modern history. It killed an estimate of 200,000 and injured 300,000 people. Entire communities were flattened, buildings collapsed across the capital, schools, hospitals, businesses. Everything in this country was destroyed. I found an estimate that I can link in the show notes that about 1.5 million people were left homeless or forced to live in temporary shelter sites in Port-au-Prince. I hope we can really appreciate and understand that scale. 1.5 million people displaced. Of course, around the earthquake, there was unbelievable humanitarian aid sent in, money from around the world, help, celebrity aid. It was an absolute all nonprofit, hands on deck type situation. And sometimes in the wake of an extreme situation, such as the Haiti earthquake, such as Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico, philanthropists will come into communities and they will rebuild schools or put money into putting up infrastructure and aiding people on the ground to really help rebuild these communities, get their lives back to where they were prior to this experience. However, depending on the situation, sometimes humanitarian aid is assisting in climate migration. It is encouraging folks to leave their communities because there are great prospects for them socially, economically, politically, environmentally in a new space, in a new community, be it within their own country or at a nearby country. I've shared before I grew up in Miami, and I think something really interesting about that was that climate migration was quite normalized in these situations to me. After that 2010 earthquake, I remember groups of Haitian students coming to my middle school. Miami is the front lines of the U.S. for the Caribbean and it's pretty easy to get to Miami from other parts of the Caribbean. 
There's a huge international airport. There's a really large port. People can take private boats. There's a lot of options to facilitate climate migration in some of those situations. And that's not to say that other countries don't welcome climate migrants with open arms or that Miami is the only place where this happens, but it's to say that you don't go very far. It makes a lot more logistical sense for you as an individual or you as a humanitarian group aiding a displaced community to encourage folks to go to the most nearby stable place. If it is Puerto Rico, it makes sense to encourage migration to Miami. If you were one of the estimated 1.5 million people from Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana that fled during or because of Hurricane Katrina, it is very likely that you moved somewhere else within the southeast U.S. Side note, here's a really powerful number about Hurricane Katrina. Roughly 40% of people who left, 40% of these climate migrants, particularly those from Louisiana, were not able to return to their pre-Katrina homes. But if we're working within a region, the trouble around that is that you're very often in a situation where you're just waiting out the next extreme event. Miami is also experiencing sea level rise. It is also getting hit by bad hurricanes. And it is unfortunately just a matter of time before the city is underwater. And yes, there's a lot going on around construction and infrastructure and making sure that this is as resilient as it can be because it is such an economic hub. But there is a lot more to climate mitigation than just waiting it out and reacting to the next natural disaster. I'm going to leave us there. This is a really heavy topic, but I hope that you are a little bit more comfortable discussing climate migration and climate refugees, especially during hurricane season. I know a lot of our examples today were around hurricanes, but I think this is really important to discuss the humanitarian intersection of the climate crisis. It's very often that we talk about numbers and we talk about the force of storms and we talk about how the science is changing and what the weather looks like. And there's a lot of concrete data, I suppose, around the climate crisis. And we talk about a lot of that here. But I think it's also really important to make sure we emphasize the human side of the climate crisis. There is very much a humanitarian aspect of this. There is very much an equity issue here. We've all heard that the first people and the most severely impacted people by climate change are going to be the ones that contributed the least to the problem. And those most vulnerable communities are experiencing the very unfortunate reality that is the climate crisis today and every day and every day moving forward. I hope this conversation allows us to see that human side of the climate crisis, to understand the news with a little bit of extra empathy and extra understanding for all of the nuance and the layers that go into migration. There's a lot of reasons that people migrate, and environmental reasons are just one of them. But I hope this conversation allows us to continue opening the door with our friends and with our family to better understand these issues that very often a lot of us haven't had to dive deep on because of our privilege. I hope this helped you out. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today. If you enjoyed this episode, double check that you're subscribed to EcoChic wherever you're listening today. That's iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you're listening today. And you can find me online. All of my social links are down below at EcoChic Podcast. I'm also on TikTok. And my email is down there if you ever want to get in touch. If you did enjoy this episode too, send it to a friend. Just send it to one person. I'm not even asking you to post it on your Instagram story this week. Just tell one person about the show. It helps me out a lot. 
And with that, I will see you next week. Thanks again so much for hanging out. I love you. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.